If you got your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Revelations. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. This is um, the study that we have been going through and we're going to just continue it this morning. Revelations chapter 6. We'll read verses 1. We'll read the whole chapter real quick. I know you've stood a lot this morning, but if you would one more time, this should be the last time, stand for um, the reading of God's Word. Revelations chapter 6, we'll read verse 1 through 17. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hell, or Hades, or the grave is another translation for that, followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal... I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a massive wind. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the poor and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For, great, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You can be seated. <clears throat> Last week we... Um, we learn that to truly understand what's happening here in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19, we really need a, a firm foundation in the book of Daniel. Specifically, Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 through 27. And so last week we spent the week building that, uh, we spent the day building that foundation 
and showing you where these last seven final years of tribulation come from because that's what you have here in Revelation chapter 6. You have the beginning of the final seven years of tribulation. Now what I mean by that, I'm not going to go back and completely re-preach Daniel chapter 9, but what I mean by that is that God had determined, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, God had determined that He was going to take 490 years out of history or out of time, and He was going to set 490 years specifically for the purpose of finishing the transgression that Israel had done, specifically for uh, putting an end to sin, specifically for atoning for sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, everlasting righteousness, not just a, a, a once a sacrifice thing, but everlasting, to seal both prophet and vision, to fulfill every word that he's ever spoken. He's going to take this 490 years to do this and to anoint a most holy place. In other words, to, to bring in the new Jerusalem. And we'll get to that here in just a minute about what he was talking about. But when Daniel received this vision, you'll remember that he was in Babylonian captivity. Now Daniel had been in Babylonian captivity ever since he was a youth, uh, probably, a, probably a teenager of some, of some age. We don't know exactly what age, but... He was a teenager likely whenever he was brought into captivity and he has been there for years. Now Babylon had, been, Babylon had burned Jerusalem to the ground and they had carried um, all the people of God away captive. And they have been in exile for almost 70 years. Now I want to show you just something that's interesting so that you can have an idea of why God specifically said, I'm going to take 490 years out of time in order to accomplish this purpose. I also want to show you why He chose specifically for the children of Israel to be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And if you know much about your Bible, you'll probably remember that whenever Babylon took them captive, they were in captivity for 70 years. And so let's look at a few scriptures to figure out exactly what God is doing here. In Leviticus chapter 21, verse 1 through 5, listen to what this says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field. And for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. So here's the law. You're going to have a seven-year period. For six years, you can work the land, farm the land, do everything you want with the land. And then on the seventh year, don't touch it. Let it rest. Don't, don't, don't do anything to the land. Just leave it alone. Let the land rest for this seventh year. And then it starts over. Six years, and then you have uh, a seventh year. And, you, and every seventh year is a Sabbath. And so that's what's happening in this law. 
Now let's see what the curse of being disobedient to this law was. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 31 through 35. And here's where he lays out the curses of disobedience. And I will lay your cities waste, and I will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas or your incense that you burn and worship. And I, I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. And look at verse 34 and 35. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. So God has a law about this Sabbath for the land. Six years you work it. The seventh year, you let this land rest. If you break it, I will lay your cities waste, and I will let this land rest for as long as you didn't let it rest. Do you see that? And so there are other laws that he addresses in Leviticus 26 that he tears down their high places, their altars that they build. So he addresses all of their disobedience to basically all of God's law. But... He picks out this to show them the timeline of the curse. And so here we have the, the, the law, we have the disobedience, and we have here's the transgression that God is going to finish and He's going to make an end of. Now in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 17 through 21, we get the fulfillment of this curse for them breaking the law. And so let's look at the fulfillment of it. In 2 Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 17. Therefore God brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or age. He gave them all into the hand of Babylon. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and they broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all of its palaces with fire, and destroyed all of its precious vessels. Remember, God did this, right? He did this because He told them this was going to be the curse of it. All right. And now go to verse 20. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days that it lay desolate. It kept Sabbath to do what? One of the primary reasons why God chose 70 years for Israel to enter into captivity was because this was the fulfillment of His Word. This was exactly what He said He was going to do. And so what we get from this scripture was that apparently they had violated 70 Sabbath years. And God had reached the point to where He said, No more. 
And so he sends them into captivity, burns the city down, lays waste the city, does exactly what he said he was going to do. And now when we get into Daniel chapter 9 from last week, if you were here, you'll remember that Daniel was reading in the book of Jeremiah. Specifically, Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 11, I believe it is. Yeah, 11 and 12, and this is what it says. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. See, Jeremiah prophesied it before it happened. The whole, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, the land of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And so what you see here is Daniel is reading in Jeremiah. And if you read Daniel chapter 9, you'll see this. Daniel is reading Jeremiah and he understands that it's only going to be 70 years of captivity. And so he goes into a prayer in Daniel chapter 9. And he's praying and specifically he confesses their nation's sins. He confesses all that they've done. He asks God to forgive them, to repent. And then he asks God to... Remember His covenant with them. Don't forget your word that you said that it's going to be 70 years and then you're going to bring us back and you're going to put us back in Jerusalem. And he begs God to please don't forget us. It's almost been 70 years. This time is almost up. And God sends Gabriel the angel to Daniel to answer his prayer. And the way that he answers it is he tells Daniel, that yes, it's only going to be 70 years and I'm going to bring this nation back to Jerusalem. However, in order to finish the transgression and in order to uh, put an end to sin and in order to make atonement for sin and in order to bring in everlasting righteousness and in order to seal both prophet and vision to fulfill every word, and in order to anoint a most holy place, not just earthly Jerusalem, a most holy place. In order to do this, it is actually going to be 77s. Now the reason I'm giving you all this context is because I don't want you to think God just thought, I'm going to grab this number and pull it out of the air and it just sounds good to me. Let me tell you, God has a purpose for everything that He's doing. And he said it's going to be 77s because in order to finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for it, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal prophet and vision and anoint the most holy place, in order to do that, I'm going to take 490 years. Because it wasn't just 70 Sabbath years, it was 70 sets of 7 years. Because for 6 years you worked the land, the seventh year, you didn't let it rest. Six years, you worked the land. Seventh year, you didn't let it rest. And for 70 sets of seven years, you did this. So it's actually going to be 70 sevens or 70 weeks of years that I am going to take out of time and I am going to fulfill all of these purposes. Now God gives us a timeline for the first 483 years. Again, if you were to go back to Daniel 9, 24 through 27, you can read all this yourself. But he gives them a timeline and he says, For 483 years, this is what's going to be. 
He said, first off, there's going to be a word that goes out, a decree that goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. To rebuild it, to restore it. Not the temple. There were decrees that went out that said, we're going to go back and rebuild the temple. That's not what he said. He said, from the time of the decree that the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem, until the time of the coming of the Messiah being proclaimed as king, there will be 483 years. Now without giving you everything, you can go back to Nehemiah 2 and you can find the date, which is um, the first of the month of Nisan. And then you can go to John chapter 12 and you can find the date that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey because it says it was 15 days before Passover when this happened. And then it goes on down. It gives you a timeline. Here's the point. According to the Jewish calendar, which was based on a 360-day years, you had somewhere around 177,833 days from the decree that went out in Nehemiah 2 until the coming of the Lord Jesus whenever He came into Jerusalem on a donkey and they laid palm branches in front of Him and they proclaimed, Hosanna, blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Exactly to the day. Now here's what's beautiful about that. When God says He's going to do something, He don't miss it by a day. When God says He's going to do something, He don't miss it by... Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will be moved from this law until it is all fulfilled. When God speaks something, He means for every iota of it to take place. And we got to see the first 483 years take place exactly like God said it was going to take place. Now, 490 years minus 483 is what? Seven years. There are seven years that are left for God to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin. He's already made atonement to, um, to anoint the most holy place, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both prophet and vision, to accomplish all of this. There's still seven years left. Now we got the timeline for the first 483 years, but here's what Jesus said about the last 483 years, in, or in the last seven years. In Matthew chapter... 13, I believe it is. No, 24, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus said this, Concerning the day or the hour of His coming. No, He's just, he's just laid you out an outline in Matthew 24 of the seven-year tribulation period. You'll see that in just a minute. He said, Concerning this day or hour, what about it? We don't know when this last seven years are going to take place. But let me tell you what we do know. We do know what's going to happen. We do know exactly what is going to take place. And so what you have in Revelations chapter 6 are the final seven years of this 490 that God has declared, this is what I am going to do, and I'm going to do it in this timeline. The last seven look like this. 
So let's look at Revelations chapter 6 real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the first ones because I spent some on them last week. But in Revelations chapter 6 verse 1, you have the beginning of the final seven years of tribulation. And we hear with John the first um, living creature calls out. You remember the living creatures we studied. He calls out from, from the seal that has just been opened and he says, Come! And when he says come, all of a sudden there's a white horse that comes and a rider that is on it. This rider is carrying a bow. This rider has a victor's crown, a Stephanos, not a royal crown like a king wears. But he has a victor's crown. This crown has been given to him. And he conquers and he goes out conquering. But he doesn't do it with any arrows. He doesn't do it by force here. He comes on the scene here on a white horse, and who else comes back on a white horse? Jesus, in Revelation chapter 19. However, Jesus comes with a sword, not a bow. Jesus comes with a diadem, a king's crown, not a Stephanos, not a victor's crown that has been given to Him. Jesus is wearing His crown, is what He's wearing. What you have here is this Antichrist that is rising up on the scene. There are many people who believe that this is Jesus. But let me tell you something. Jesus does not come at the beginning of the tribulation. Yes, before the tribulation begins, He steps out on the clouds and He says, Hey, church! And the Bible says the church rises to meet Him in the air. But Jesus does not come back to earth. His second coming does not appear until the end, until the seventh seal is broken. This is not Jesus. This is a imitating Jesus. This is a false Christ. This is someone that is trying to make himself look like the Savior, is going to proclaim himself as the Savior, and yet he is not Christ. He is the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9-11, through 11, this is what Paul said about him. He said, The coming of the lawless one, or the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan. He comes in his power with all power and with false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception. He comes deceiving, right? For those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. Now remember, God's using this seven years for His purpose, just like He did the 70 years in Babylon. And so God sends this. God allows this to take place. He's using this to execute His wrath on the earth and also bring more people to Christ as Savior. And He's using this as a time to put an end to all evil. And He lets Satan come up and rise up with his power to accomplish his purposes. And at the end, He, he extinguishes it all. <coughs> Finish that up in um, 2 Thessalonians. It says... God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so what you have here is the Antichrist and especially many Antichrists that are rising up together. And they are coming together and they are promoting peace. He is coming and He has he is become such a ruler and such a leader that the world looks at the peace that He brings and they love Him. They crown Him as King. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is what Paul said about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, listen to this. 
Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. He says that at the beginning of this thing, it's going to look like peace and security. And one of the first seals you see opened here is this Antichrist rising up and the world loves him. It is everything that this world has ever wanted as far as peace goes, as far as security goes. He creates an atmosphere that is wonderful to live in in the beginning. And they're saying peace and security, peace and security. And then the second seal is opened and sudden destruction comes on them. Because look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. When he opened the second seal... I heard the second, second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red, color of blood. Its rider was permitted by God to take peace from the earth. The first seal was peace and security, coming up in the spirit of this Antichrist. The second seal opens and God says, There is no peace, there is no security in this world. And He takes it away. And this rider comes on the scene and he takes peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. What you see happen next is this rider is war. The first rider comes in and it's peace. This rider comes in and there is world war that breaks out. You had world peace for a very small period. And then very quickly, God takes it away and this rider, war comes out and all of a sudden, nation rises against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Go to Matthew chapter 24 and you'll see the same outline that Jesus gave us. Matthew 24 verse 3. The disciples have been asking Jesus what the sign of the end of age is going to be. And so in verse 3 he says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. First seal. First seal. The Savior of the world. But don't be deceived because it ain't going to last long. And then he goes on in verse um, 6 and it says, And you will hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars. But see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There is going to be war, 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 war beginning here on out. But then going back to Revelation 6, let's look at the third seal. Hold your place in Matthew 24 because you're going to see Jesus interpret this for you. In verse 5, When He opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. We're fixing to measure something, right? And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. You remember what the four living creatures were around? In Revelation 4, or yeah, Revelations 4 and 5, around the throne. God is in the midst of this. The voice of God speaks out and He says, 
a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And here's what you need to understand. A denarius was about a day's wage. It's about what you made for working a day. A quart of wheat was enough to, not quite sufficiently, but feed one person. And so you would work a whole day and you would only have just enough to buy enough for maybe you to get enough to eat on. So what you have here is severe famine. And does it surprise you? Anybody remember what follows war? Remember what happened in World War II? What followed was famine. What followed was food lines. What followed was rationing. And so what you have here is severe famine that is going to take place. And you will work hard all day and still only have enough money to maybe buy enough for you to eat. Not your family, not your children, not your wife. And then, if perhaps you want to feed your family, then here's what we'll do. You can get three quarts of barley for a denarius. You know what barley was? Horse food. You can get three quarts of dog food. So in other words, you can get enough to almost feed three for a day's wage if you're willing to eat dog food. But don't harm the oil or the wine. There's some question about what that actually means. I don't really know for certain, but one, one interpreter sees this as a social status. In other words, the, the oil and the wine was what the rich people had. And so basically, they're going to be able to buy the, their, their wheat. They're going to be able to buy whatever they want to eat. And so don't harm the oil and the wine. Just touch the wheat and the barley with severe famine. Now go back over to Matthew 24. Look at verse uh, 7 again. <clears throat> For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be what? Famines. Jesus is laying out and He's answering their question, this is what's going to take place. And He is interpreting Revelation chapter 6 for you. And He's saying, this is what the end of time looks like. Go to the next one in uh, verse, uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 7. When He opened the fourth seal, when He opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death and the Grave. And the grave followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence or plagues or natural disaster is what that word can be translated as. And by wild beasts of the earth. And so the fourth rider comes out and death follows the Antichrist, when peace is removed, war follows. And now death and the grave come in and God gives them authority to take one quarter of the population completely off of the earth. Now today's population is somewhere around 7 billion people on the earth. A quarter of that is 1,750,000,000 people. At this time, 1,750,000,000 people, if it were to happen today... That's how many people would leave the earth during this period right here. This is how many people would be affected by the sword. This is how many people would be affected by the plague. This is how many people would be affected by the famine, by, by disease. This is how many people would be killed by this rider that God allows to come. And so war, famine, pestilence, natural disasters, and death 
takes a quarter of them. Now go to the next seal with me. In verse um, 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Let's see if this lines up with what Jesus taught. Finish up verse 7 with me. Matthew 24 verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine. There will be earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. One billion, seven hundred and fifty million people have been wiped off of this planet. And what did Jesus say about it? It ain't even hardly getting started yet. And He called it birth pains. You remember when a woman has a baby? How do the pains start out? But then as the birth gets closer and closer, what do the pains do? Faster and faster and faster. And that's exactly what you're seeing happen here. Let's follow along with him in verse 9, 24 verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. What was the fifth seal? They were slain by the Word of God, right? They were slain because of their testimony for the Word of God. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will still arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Go back over to Revelation chapter 6 with me. Let's finish this up. In verse 10 of Revelation chapter 6. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are the ones that have died for their faith right during the first part of this tribulation period. And now they're under the altar and they're asking God, how long before you avenge us? How long before you get back at what they've done to us? And then verse 11 says, Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And look at verse 12. When he had opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, just like a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a massive wind. The sky vanished because of all the stars that fell from the sky. And it vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now this is still not the end. This is only the sixth seal. But here's what Jesus said about it. Go back to Matthew 24 verse 15. Because what you see happen in the middle of the fifth seal when these people are being persecuted and killed, Daniel told us that in the middle of this tribulation period, in the middle of this seven years, this Antichrist is going to stop the covenant he had with the Jews. He was going to stop all of the good things that he was doing for the world, he's going to put an end to it all and he's going to lift himself up to be God and if anybody worships anything or any God other than him, they're to be killed. If they don't have his mark on their forehead, 
they will be killed. And then this happens right here in the middle of the persecution of these Christians. And it gets worse and worse. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, here's what Jesus said. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. The abomination of desolation was exactly what I told you. This Antichrist has lifted himself up, put himself on God's throne in the temple and said, I'm God, worship me or you die. And this is an abomination that makes desolate. And Jesus said, when you see that happen, which takes place in the middle of the tribulation period, when you see this happen, here's what you do in verse 16. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Run. Run as fast as you can run. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. You ever seen a pregnant woman run? Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath if you're a Jew. For then, here's why, for then there will be great tribulation. By the time we get to the sixth seal, we've moved from the beginning of birth pains to now we're in the second half of the tribulation and the pains are fixing to come much harder and much faster. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. And look at verse 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. Remember, this Antichrist is up here, and he's, he's saying, I am God. If you don't take my mark, you die. And he's going to be very deceptive. He's going to have many signs. He comes with the power of Satan. An angel of light. He looks like everything that you ever wanted. But no matter what he says, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect or the saved. See, I have told you beforehand. Listen, Jesus wants you to know this beforehand, church. I know this is boring to a lot of people. I know that. But I pray that you get this. Jesus said, I have told you this beforehand for a purpose. So if they say to you, look, He is in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, He is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, when the Son of Man comes again, you'll know it. There will be no question. Verse 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will be gathered. How many people die? Billion and more. Wherever the corpses are, that's where the vultures are gathered. Verse 29, let's finish this out with that. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, you remember the sixth seal? The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, 
The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And look at verse 36. We've already read this. But concerning that day, And that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. We don't know the timeline of this. We don't know how long each seal lasts. But we know that when the wrath of God is unleashed, and let me tell you something, that's just the sixth seal. We haven't even got to the seventh seal yet. The seventh seal opens up seven more trumpet judgments and seven more bowl judgments. And they come like birth pains. And I'm talking about one right after the other, right after the other. And there is no rest to the point that all the people that are on the earth, they are hiding in dens and caves of mountains. And they are begging rocks, please crush us and hide us from the wrath of God. Now why do you think Jesus wants you to know this beforehand? Because you don't have to face this. We have not even got into the worst part of the great tribulation. You've only really saw the beginning of the birth pains. And yet men are so terrified by it that they beg rocks and mountains, please, will you please just crush us so that we don't have to face this. Church, I truly believe that when God wrote this book, He said in Revelation chapter 1 that I'm writing this down to show my servants the things that must take place after this. I want you to see it. I want you to understand the wrath of God that is coming. And I want you to understand that Jesus Christ saves us from the wrath that is to come and it is my prayer this morning, just like the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians, no, it was in First Corinthians, I believe it was. He said, "Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men." Guys, I'm pleading with you this morning. Do not wait until Jesus steps out on the cloud to call His church home before. You put your faith and your trust in Him today and you recognize your rebellion against Him. Because you're going to see as you go through here, it becomes impossible for these people to even be saved. They recognize that it's the wrath of the Lamb. And yet they still don't repent. They still don't ask forgiveness. They still don't seek the blood of Jesus to cover them for their sin. It will become impossible for you to be saved. Right now, today is the day of salvation.
And it is my prayer that if you have not you, you have not come and confessed Him before men as Lord and Savior, the one who died and shed His blood to save you from your sins. If you don't understand that you have transgressed God's law, even though it may not be in the same exact ways, you are a sinner and sin is transgression of the law. I'm asking you this morning, I persuade you because I know the terror of the Lord because I've seen it. I've seen it. And I'm begging each and every one of you to just come this morning and say, Pastor, I want to confess Him before men that I believe that He died to save me from my sin. I want to repent of my sin and I want to follow Him in faith. And I want to be saved from the wrath that is to come. And I want to know that I don't have to face even the beginning of the birth pains that are coming. If that's you this morning, that's what this message is about. I pray that there is someone here that would unashamed step out and say, I want to profess Him this morning as my Lord and Savior. I want to confess Him before men. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to come now as we stand.